of John, chapter 6, uh, verses 53 to 71. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things to this, in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to him, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives flesh. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but, they are so, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke, to, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the 12 who was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. everyone. Um, it's, it's neat to be here. I've never given a sermon before, but Marvin's on vacation and uh, he asked if I wanted to speak today. Um, so there might be a slideshow. Oh yeah. Thank you so much, Francis and Ronick for coming in, I think, to get the slideshow going. Yeah, so today I'm going to talk about this passage that Jesus reveals that he's the bread of life in. And Grace did a really good job, a little mini sermon there, and I think she basically said everything I was gonna say. Maybe it's a sister thing. <laughs> so, Francis, I might just um, go like this to change the slide. So have you, have you ever been overwhelmed with anticipation for something? Have you been just you know, waiting and waiting for something to happen and you think about it and in your mind it almost becomes something larger than life. Often expectation like this can lead to disappointment. And it can also lead you to miss things because you are so focused on the thing that you are expecting. Uh, if you change the slide. 
So this happened for me uh, recently. Last year, I went to Cape Breton, and I was really excited because I had heard about this trail called the Skyline Trail, and I had seen so many pictures of it. It was always like the featured trail in like Cape Breton tourism websites, and people had told me about it. And so I kind of like built up in my mind what this was gonna be like. So I pictured something like the picture on the left, you know, this like beautiful colors, sunset, fall colors. And when I actually went, it turned out to be a pretty gloomy day. There was not much color around. The picture on the right is a picture I took. And I was pretty disappointed, not to mention that most of the trail is actually just a walk through a bog. It's only at the very end that you see this, this one view. So today, the passage we read actually starts at the end of the story. Uh, if we could change the slide. So Jesus has revealed that he is, in some way, the bread of life. And maybe this is a familiar passage to us. I'm pretty sure we've all heard this before. But the passage we read today at the end was something I wasn't very familiar with. And it was the fact that there's kind of a turn of events um, after the people have heard this. And it leads to many of his disciples, so the people who are following him everywhere, uh, to leave him at this point. Uh, if you could change the slide. So my question today is, what was it about what Jesus said that led his disciples to leave? And to answer this, we need to look at the story that led up to this point. You change the slide. So what happened right before this was that Jesus had fed the 5,000. So it says that uh, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And some, uh, in another gospel, it says that the place where he went on the shore of the Sea of Galilee was a remote place, and it was getting late in the day, and Jesus knew that the people wouldn't be able to get food. So he actually divides up five loaves of bread and two fish, and miraculously, it is enough to feed everyone. And we see that this miracle affects what people think of Jesus, what they think of who he is. So it says, after they saw this, uh, next slide. Uh, could you change the slide, please? Oh, sorry. My bad. <laughs> um, it says, after they saw this, they said, surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. And so who, who are they talking about? Well, in Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So people think that that's who they were talking about. And so right after this, 
the people actually try to force Jesus to be their king. And it says that Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Which seems kind of strange. It seemed like things were going well, like people are now on his side. They want him to be king. Wouldn't this have been an opportunity for Jesus to take his rightful throne? Like this, he was meant to be king. They were right in, in wanting that. Wouldn't this have been easier than going to the cross? But this sounds similar <clears throat> to what the devil was saying to Jesus in the wilderness. You know, I will give you the kingdoms of the earth. Just bow down and worship me. Like, take the easy way out. And so what we see Jesus actually do is he retreats to a mountain by himself, um, presumably to be alone with um, his father. Um, but the crowds, they're still desperately looking for him. And they eventually find him on the other side of the lake. And they say, how did you get here? And Jesus seems different now. So what he answers is, he says, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus starts talking about a different kind of bread. Um, the people are looking for bread. Like, this is what they feel that their physical need is. This is what's probably most important to them. Life was difficult at that time. And so maybe... Like, we think, oh, they're so shallow. They're, they're looking for Jesus just so he'll give them food. But don't we all, like, look for security? And don't we want to make a life for ourselves here that is comfortable? And um, in a way, don't we even want a king that will provide for us? But um, this was not primarily Jesus' mission. And maybe this is what he was reminded of on the mountain, what his true mission was. He came to do much more than um, give bread or even to be their king. Um, these things are temporary. He's, he's sort of on a different playing field. Like he's thinking about God's kingdom. So he says, do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. And so the people ask, what, what do you mean? How do we work? What must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So why is it so important that they believe? Like, why is this the work? I think it's because the people have such strong expectations, like, they think they know what the Messiah will look like. They definitely know what they want him to do for them. It's sometimes really hard to get past that. You know, you miss things. You can't even see what's really going on. Like, I miss the beauty of that hike because I was looking for something else. 
So it's going to be difficult for them to put aside those expectations and to actually listen to Jesus because they're not expecting a spiritual kingdom. They're having their minds that this is going to be a physical kingdom. And Jesus knows that it's critical. Like, they have to. They have to listen to him. That is their only hope. And that is really a matter of life and death. They must believe. So Jesus continues. This is a long section where he talks about being the bread of life. Um, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will remain in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of him, or I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. What is the people's response? So on hearing it, it says, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And the word hard here, it's Greek, and I think you say sclero, that's the word. And it's actually used nowadays, and it's a medical term that indicates like the hardening of something. But in this situation, when it's talking about an object, the teaching, the teaching is hard, it translates to offensive. And you can actually see this in the way that Jesus um, responds to them. He says, it says, aware that his disciples are grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are, are Spirit and they are life. So it seems like the issue that they take with his teaching, it's not, it's not just that it's a, a strange metaphor, weird imagery, although it is, and Jesus doesn't even suggest that it is a metaphor at all. Um, he says, my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. And Catholics would say that it, it does become real food and drink in your body. Um, but it seems like, yeah, it's not the imagery that they take uh, offense at, they're actually offended about what he's saying. And maybe this is partly because of their expectations, like the people come to him looking for food, he doesn't do that. He comes to the, they come to him wanting to make him king, and he doesn't do that. Instead, he says that this is a spiritual problem and if only they saw him, like, ascend to where he was, if only they knew who he really was, then they could come to him and have life. Other reason that this teaching is hard is that he makes it personal. It's suddenly, it's not about uh, external kingdoms, it's about you. Like, he's, he's saying, you're, you're the real problem. And that's always very hard to hear, to have someone tell you, you're not really living. You don't know what real life is like. 
Um, it's, it's well known that if you want to get along with people and make friends, the first rule is not to criticize. People don't like this. And uh, next slide, please. Our natural response to criticism is often defensive, like, who are you to say this to me? Who do you think you are? And we see that in the passage, the people ask, you know, isn't this Jesus? Don't we know who his parents are? Like, is, they talk about him being a man. Like, how can this man give us his flesh and blood to drink and eat? I think they're also disappointed. Like, there's, and when you're disappointed, often there's bitterness, you know? Like, I felt bitterness that the Skyline Trail was not, not what it was supposed to be. But for Jesus, it's, I think it's actually tragic. It's so critical that they, they believe they have to get beyond their disappointment and their defensiveness. Because no one knows God except for him. Like, we are spiritually dead. We don't know what God is like. We can't kid ourselves that we know what his kingdom is like. There's a quote from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer about this, where he says, um, help must come from the outside. It has to come and does come daily anew in the word of Jesus Christ. And what's, what's happening here, actually, it was foreshadowed at the very beginning of John. Um, it talks about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Isn't that exactly what's happening here? Like Jesus is coming with God's word, like um, God's message to the world to save it, and they are not accepting it, even though it's their only hope. Yeah, so I think this is, a, this is a real tragedy. Like, if only we could put aside um, our expectations and pride. Defensiveness is really pride. Um, and come to him uh, to receive life. And Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will not drive away. So, and maybe as it was like, writing this and thinking about it, I thought, well, isn't that kind of an old message, you know, that we need to come to Jesus for life? You know, isn't it almost cliche to say? But I think this is really at the heart of our daily struggle, because naturally we want to build our own kingdoms. Like, to us, the most important thing is this life, you know, that we have a good life. That's kind of what we're working towards often. I think we forget very easily Maybe we're not openly disobeying, but maybe we're not listening to Jesus. Maybe we don't truly believe that life comes from him. 
I definitely like have this struggle where I view like the practical things as the most important and the most urgent. Um, like recently, I'm moving apartments, and I just realized I was so obsessed with like getting stability, like finding the best place, like making the best life, and having all the details sorted out. That I found myself not coming to Jesus because it's not important. That's that's the spiritual world, you know. Right now, I'm in the physical world, and that's what matters, and that's what's relevant. But Jesus is saying that um, that's not really living. Like true life actually comes from Him. I think we often, yeah, we often slip into wanting to build our own kingdom, and we focus on this life. We forget that actually eternal life through Jesus uh, begins now. Like in a way, this is the beginning of eternity right here. So of course there is time to pray, like we're going to be with God forever. Like of course there's time to come to him. Like his kingdom and eternal life is the reality right now. As he says, the flesh counts for nothing. The spirit gives life. It's like, what is, what is this day um, in light of eternity? Like, what does this time mean now that Jesus has come and is giving us this true life? I think some things will be less important, you know? Like, finding the perfect apartment. I don't think that's very important. And I think maybe other things become more important, like the fact that we are all family. Like, that is eternally true. That's... That's the reality. So our real life is our life with him. That's more real than our physical life right now. Is what he's saying demanding? Yes, it is. He's saying we need to come to him every day uh, for life, put aside what we want. And is it offensive? Yes, he's saying that we don't know how to live on our own, that we're spiritually dead. It offends our pride. And he's asking each of us, who do you say that I am? Am I a prophet? Am I just a teacher who will allow you to get the things that you want in life? He asks us, each of us, do you uh, do not... Uh, you do not want to leave too, do you? Like we have the option to, to not listen to him, to, to not take this teaching seriously, like to understand that it is hard, like it is offensive. But the amazing thing is that he is always there. He does not give up on us. He is always there offering us his life, his own body and his own flesh. Um, if only we would come to him. Uh, let's pray together. Uh, dear Lord, just thank you that uh, we're not alone here, that, that you are giving us life, Father, um, as we come to you. And we just thank you that 
we could be here together, Lord, and hear your word. And Lord, I just you are the only one who is worthy uh, of blessing and honor and to, to open the, the seal, Father. And yeah, our worship is, is not enough, Lord. Help us to see who you are, Lord, and to humble ourselves and accept, accept your life, Father, every day, um, every hour, Father. And just ask that you would be with us uh, for the rest of the time, Lord. In your name, amen.